Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby, mostly for the game masters, but the players are allowed to come in. We don't care. Go ahead. Come on in. Have a drink. Sit around for a little bit. Maybe you'll learn something. Uh, fucking programs, shit, intro music thing going out of whack. I don't know what's going on, but uh, nobody cares. All nobody I know, cares. I'm Matt. I am David. Man, today we've got some shit to talk about. We got the community questions. We're going to talk about Vox Machina a little bit, uh, as well as our main topic today, dealing with that problem pl player. And uh, hopefully David's got some uh, some real good shit talking for that. I know that he's he's really good <laughs> when it comes to the problem players. It's like, hey, I got I got some I got some topics here. Maybe they push your buttons a little bit. <laughs> Nah, I'm cool. I'm relaxed. Um, first of all, I'm kind of excited because uh, we got a text from our other player, Beto, the one that we keep talking about on this podcast. I swear, we got to get yeah. Beto on here because our listeners have heard about Beto so much. Yeah, we just need to get him on the podcast. Uh, but it's good company. Yeah, Beto is going to be MIA for even longer now because I guess his employee didn't work out. So now uh, I know. David has brought up saying that, hey, maybe we can start a side thing for now until Beto gets his shit together. And I might want to work with you on that because I have a whole bunch of uh, Lankmar stuff for Savage Worlds, mm. but I can convert that to D&D &D in Roll20. I was, what I was thinking is most of the classic adventures that are fairly well known mm. i've run at least partially tomb of horrors whatever what i have never ran and only read over is white plume mountain oh okay and it seems like an adventure that is made designed to just stand alone like it's just mm -hmm. a it's a dungeon crawl puzzle heavy and the characters are like levels five, six, seven. I was going to so, say, isn't that a higher level? I guess it's level five. It's five to seven, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I need to read over the fifth edition conversion or whatever. But I have it in roll 20, and I feel like I could just come up with a pre-generated party. Of the characters don't need to be, oh, excuse me, don't need to be super in-depth. Give them all some sort of motivation to be there at White Plume Mountain. And we can look at it like, one, getting to run a classic adventure that at least you and I are probably fairly familiar with mm -hmm. from its uh, reputation. And two, allow the other players in the group to see what like a uh, class that they don't otherwise run might be like at you know the end of the first tier mm -hmm. uh so that's good i don't normally like to give players levels but it's a side thing or whatever yeah plus everyone think, well uh mike and chris are the only ones that but we've been playing for a good amount of time now and mm -hmm. i hope that they would know like patrick i'm i i think would do just fine getting a leveled up character but uh Chris and Mike would be the only ones I'd worry about. Mike more than Chris. Uh, Mike, there's still some some basic areas and mechanics of the game that Mike isn't 
really apprised of mm-hmm. because he doesn't do like Chris does, which is just like sit around and read role playing books. He basically just comes to the game, yeah, and like goes, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of know how it works now. And so, I think he would be the most likely to choose a more simplistic character, like starting at level four or five, because running a mage or something like that probably wouldn't be so uh, well suited to his knowledge of the game. True. I'd probably just do a straightforward, regular, basic four classes, Mm -hmm. basic four races, kind of do it in the dungeon crawl is not super plot heavy from what I understand. So more like a classic D&D adventure because it's what it is. Yeah, it's it's just a dungeon delve. Yeah, it's from second second edition, but it's got some cool lore and some a good mix of combat, puzzle solving, exploration, stuff like that. Probably wouldn't leave a lot of room for role playing and all that, but you know, you don't really need your invested in a character for a couple of levels. You're not really Yeah, like you said, it's a it's a little side project for now until we can get into the main campaign. But I'm open to other ideas if you have something in the works. Oh, yeah, I like I said, uh well, I just wanted to do this for you. I'll cause like I said, I have a whole bunch of Lankmar um adventures that i could transfer over to uh 5e which uh for those out there holy crap we're both just bad at talking right now with the coughs and the the burps sorry everybody uh if you if those listening if you're not uh akin to lankmar um lankmar is a setting made for savage worlds uh, but Linkmar is from the oh fuck, Dave, help me out. Uh, Gray Mauser and Fafiard and Gray Mauser. Yes, it's a part. It's that world, uh, and it's it, all the adventures are set in Linkmar. Is what they are. It's the the city of thieves, the city of blades. I think they called it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really cool setting because uh, everything takes place in the city. But uh, if that's something that you might want, I can help you out with that. I can set all that shit up for you. Man, I do like Fawford and Great And I can send you the the PDFs of the of the adventure itself. It's just all in Savage World rules. As long as it's not uh super lengthy. I mean, we just need something to run for probably like a month, you know. So yeah, four yeah. or five sessions. Uh I, I really don't want to Beto is such a good sport. He's like, I feel bad about holding. Oh, he's been up. real looks cool. Like, looks like it's gonna be longer. If you want to just kill off my character, and I was like, you know what, ask the group what they want. I know that and then I thought about shit, it for- man. When he first came out, he's just like, you know what? You guys should just kill, kill you should just kill El Rose. Just get it over with. I'm I'm gonna be gone. I was like, damn, dude. Well, he says he really misses playing. He's like, yeah, fucking this Saturday night shit is fucking just derailing my life. And I am irritated and I have to give up this thing that like, you know, he's he's got a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. And he's got like a you know, lot of responsibilities at work. He's the manager of the hotel or whatever. And so, like, I get it. It's like it's one day a week for four hours where you can just, like, chill and have some beer and like, right. fucking just get away from all that shit. And he hasn't had that for the last, you know, two months. Mm-hmm. But I told him to poke with the group. He was like, well, do you want to talk to everybody independently or should I just poke at the group? You know, maybe they might feel weird if they kind of want my character killed off and then you know, saying so like in the group chat. And I was like, you know what? Just poke at him. And then he did. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? No, like I'm not doing that. I'm not, I don't care what the rest of the group says. I'm not killing your character off. I, I like generally speaking as a, as a game master, you do what your, your players want, but I want to see how his, 
his character arc plays out. Yeah, so do I. I want to see what happens next. Right, right. And you're a player, and mm-hmm. like, so usually I'm keen to defer to what the players want. But I thought about it, and I'm like, no, you know what? I think it's one. I want to see how it plays out. I think he adds his character and the the whole like demon pack thing that he's got going on and the strife with the party. I think it adds rich texture to the group dynamic and to the overall plot arc. And I think we'll lose a lot if we eliminate him and I mean, the game would run, you know, without him or whatever, but mm-hmm. I don't, it won't um, be the same. It won't be the same. No. And I, he's invested in a character and he's been thoughtful about his character's motivations and outlook and trajectory and, you know, kind of where he wants the, the, his personal story arc to trend mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice that just for expediency and convenience. And so I was like, you know what? No, I'm not doing that. We'll put, put the game on pause as long as you fucking need, man. Like just take it. Yeah. You know? And I, I just want to know what his next step is going to be since he can no longer level as a warlock. Mm-hmm. And like my character said, hey, if you ever want, I can teach you, you know, the arcanum or being a bard. And then even Mike said, if you want to learn to fight, I can teach you how to fight. Chris said, if you would like, I can tell you about my God and maybe they would be good for you. Is everybody is just saying like, yeah, well, except for Patrick, where it's just like, you should have died. I should have killed you. For context, uh, Beto's character is a warlock and had a pact with the demon Lord Orcus. And. So I, since his inception of his character, I've been having Orcus give him like little side quests, retrieve this item, do this thing, yada, yada, yada. And in the beginning, they were more of kind of a deviancy from the overall plot. But as the game has progressed, now the characters are level eight. The stakes get raised. So the most recent iteration of the quest was the party was trying to find the Sun Sword, which is a basically a, a medieval lightsaber mm. that will help them kill the vampire lord guy. And so this whole item is designed to do away with the undead. So consequently, the demon lord of the undead wants it. And this is directly at odds with the party's goals. And obviously doing so breeds a lot of hostility. So that all came to a head where he tried to abscond with it and there was high drama as to whether he was going to get to the waylay point drop off the item and he didn't mostly because of our paladin who is like the direct opposite of that character Mm -hmm. he's like you know smite the undead and like very single-minded simplistic he's the one that i always complain is hard to kind of get some character stuff out of him but his one thing is that I'm not, I won't abide this and I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And the rest of the party talked some sense into him and was like, but so it was a really tense couple of sessions where it was like Matt as the party leader had to like stay uh, Patrick's character, who's named Victor, had to stay his hand. And there's kind of this uneasy truce between the group. Like, look, I'm with you. If he's a bad guy, then, you know, I'll be the first one to to give him the axe but until that time comes we need to kind of be on the same page so this is uneasy alliance right now and beto in character basically renounced his patron and because i'm not the kind of dm that gets all warm and fuzzy for shit 
I needed to make there be some consequences. So I basically told him, okay, you've severed this contract mm -hmm. with your patron, which is where you get all your powers. Now, all of your powers that you've already been given are not going to go away, but you cannot gain levels in Warlock until you have a new patron. You can multi-class into something else, but you can't gain levels in Warlock with the same patron. Now, you could conceivably forge another pact with another otherworldly being that is an Orcus, but until then, you're stalled out. You're not leveling. And moreover, the, the agreement that you have with Orcus has basically forfeited your soul to Orcus, which means that you're no longer a willing recipient to come back from the dead. So if you die, you're fucking dead. Yeah. Like you, because your soul is not willing to come back because it's owned by this demon lord. And I felt that was a pretty appropriate consequences to give him. But and don't also, forget the big thing took his quasset away. Right. Yeah. It took his, he his was closet a familiar. Pact the, of the, the chain. The one that ran amok. So those were some pretty stringent consequences but i firmly believe that they were the right consequences they were there i think overall this is making the story when you first told me that that it was orcus was looking for the sun sword all i could think of was like oh shit this is gonna get good and now it is it's finally getting really good uh the story is starting to amp up and the the drama of everything is in there into the game which i am really enjoying between well mostly between me beto chris and patrick patrick is playing his side as in just the the stone-faced stalwart i'm gonna fucking kill you if you ever turn on us i'm curious if you remember what lies in the amber temple i do um up in the statue i know that there is is it a warlock that lives up in the statue in the head of the statue or is it a sorcerer of some sort it's a magic user of some sort that's about it though i don't really remember so, much okay more. great so there's like a big thing that's in the area that you guys were in the amber temple that just just so coincidentally happens to dovetail with his art oh no shit um, yeah and i really want it to like come to fruition to see how he's gonna deal with it and so anyway that's all just some inside baseball. Maybe it's interesting to people. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> but the long and short of it is that we're on hiatus from that game. But maybe we'll get back to something that will be um, new and interesting. We'll have to keep talking about Curse of Strahd, play out some different characters. And uh, anyway, you play your Savage Pathfinder this week? We didn't. Uh, here in Michigan, we had a massive snowstorm. Uh, and it's still snowing. It's been snowing nonstop since Wednesday. And uh, snow, what is that? I know. Although out in beautiful San Jose, California, where every time I go there, it's just a beautiful 73 degrees every day, all day. Not a fucking cloud in the sky. Like, it's really cold out. I'm like, it's 56. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. I'm like, it's January. Yeah. You know what the rest of the country looks like in fucking January? The first time I ever went to San Jose to go see Dave, we went to the cigar lounge and it was night. And I remember being there in a t-shirt and shorts and Mike showed up and he's got like a hoodie on and jeans and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, damn, dude, it is. It's like it's it's 65 degrees out right now. What are you doing? It's yeah. A little, a little nippy. Yeah, it's that wind picks up, you know, 
but yeah anyway so okay well uh maybe we can uh that's kind of the updates on our on our mm-hmm. games if anybody cares and maybe we can get into you want to go news or you want to do community questions so uh, i'm going into the community questions but i had okay. a somebody send in a listener uh mm-hmm. by the name of eric that sent in a community question he said this is specifically a community question the only thing i could think of I was listening to you guys, and I was drinking at the same time when you said this show was brought to you by whiskey. So here's the nice. community question I came up with. And okay, I, so we did a, we did get some emails. This we, week. Yeah, we did. Uh, right. It was it's not one of our normal emails, but uh, and sure. this, when he put it on here, uh, the first thing he put, I wanted the drop from Mike. I should have tried to find it because it's. Did you know? Did you know? Most D and D DMs don't realize you can't drop a shield as a free action. It's actually a full action to don or doff a shield due to 90% of them being made with a strap instead of a handle. What are some other right. rules that most people overlook? Have a drink on me. Cheers, fellas. Rules that are overlooked. You cannot also draw a second weapon. Rules is written mm-hmm. as a, unless you have the dual wielder feet. I have gone away with this rule because one, it's retarded, and two, see rule one. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like I don't get it. And so that's that's the immediate one that comes to mind. Also, an action to light a torch. If you didn't know that, it's an action to light a torch. It's a oh yeah, I guess it would be. Think about yeah. It. Think about what and you know you you think about lighting something. Mm-hmm. Like you light a fucking cigar. It's like, oh, I'll just grab it. And it's like, no, dude, you break out a tinderbox, you open it, get the flint, get the yeah. steel, lay the torch down, strike, 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 pick it up, make sure it's going. And like, you know, that that all takes, you know, around is six yeah. seconds. So it's like, that is a fairly involved process, unless you have press the digitation or something. But guess what? Press the digitation, also an action. Yep. So I think that gets overlooked. Uh, any any other ones that you can think of right at the top? Uh, of crossbow reloading. That one's a big one, if I remember correctly. Um, you remember incorrectly. Heavy crossbows, or something like that. There is a reload time for crossbows. Nope. Um, that has a reload property, and all that means is that the you cannot fire more than one bolt from that crossbow in a round but it doesn't take you any sort of action to reload it. It just means that if you have like a multi-attack feature, mm. you can't fire two crossbow bolts in a round because you have to. That re- might be, because I, I remember a long time ago when we were playing with uh, old Nate Trierweiler, mm-hmm. he had uh, Imanon, the drow bard, mm-hmm. and he had dual hand crossbows. Yep. And we were figuring out, because he kept saying, what is the reload uh thing what does this mean and we looked it up and we were like oh okay well you're shooting from two different crossbows so i guess that's okay yeah i never was clear as to whether that was even okay yeah that's true i don't think it's okay um let me think what's another uh i tried to trip you up with some of them with the dm quiz uh attacking underwater is disadvantage on attack rolls I don't think it comes unless, up that much in most games unless you use a dagger, a spear, a trident, or a short sword. Mm. In which case, it is not disadvantage. Uh, climbing is half speed. Yep. You climb at half speed. So every foot of, like, you climb costs two feet of movement. So if something is 30 feet up, unless you have the rogue's uh, roof runner feature, then 
you basically if something's 30 feet up it takes you a full move and then another full move to get up there however what i'm unclear about in the rules is whether you can dash when you climb that's a good unclear question. i don't think it doesn't so. say you cannot do that it just says the dash action so Technically, if you were going to climb 30 feet, you would need to use your action to dash and your movement to move to climb 30 mm. feet up. That's a good thing and that, to look up because even with um, movement, so you have a move speed of 30 feet, right? Correct. Well, most characters do. Right. So, well, we're just going with a, as a basic like human, you have a move speed of 30, mm -hmm. but then you can have a climb speed of 30. And if you just have the regular move, you can dash. So with a climb mm -hmm. speed, can you dash as well? Or even in water? Because if you don't have characters, a swim speed. Characters, swim speed and climb speed are basically what they, those are. They're ways of saying that you are not, they don't count as difficult terrain. If you have a climb speed of 30, it means that you can climb at the same rate that you can walk. And if you have a swim speed of 30, then it means that you can swim not half speed. Mm. So effectively, that's what the rogues roof runner feature does it gives you a climb speed um which is equivalent to your move speed so there's not all the dash action says is that you use the dash action and you get your movement in feet extra on top of your normal movement mm -hmm. so if you dashed before you started climbing then you would have 60 feet of movement and if you climb 30 feet up that's 60 feet of thing 30 feet of difficult terrain effectively mm -hmm. So I think that that doesn't come up that frequently. Uh -uh. Probably hardly um, ever at all. Right, because it's hardly ever time sensitive when mm -hmm. you're climbing something. So, but I think that it's something that doesn't get um, really the proper attention to pay to it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I don't know that it needs to. I, whatever you're doing, it should, as long as it's consistent in what you're doing, meaning that you don't do it one way one time and another way another time when it suits you that's inconsistent players hate that shit or at least they should hate that shit uh the only go with what 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 makes sense in the moment there you go yeah the only other thing i can think of right now is especially going off of eric's uh comment here is donning and doffing not just shields but armor in general i don't even remember the last time i even looked at the don doff table to see what the times were uh, depends on the armor. It's one minute to don or doff light armor. Mm -hmm. It is, I think, five minutes to don and or three minutes to don and it's like half the time. Five to minutes to doff. doff. Yeah, and then it's ten, five and ten. I think, or it's ten and ten, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then if you have assistance, then it halves it. Yeah, so you can have someone assist you, and it halves the time. But that comes up often when characters are camping for the night. Yeah. And you wear heavy armor and you're going to take the your wall, you're going to sleep. I, nowhere in the rules does it say you suffer any impediment for sleeping in heavy armor. I think this is stupid. Mm -hmm. To me, you sleep in heavy armor or even me medium armor, I usually do. If you sleep in medium armor, I make you do typically a constitution saving throw. Mm -hmm. And if you fail that constitution saving throw, then you suffer a level of exhaustion. Heavy armor, you just suffer a level of exhaustion if you sleep in it. Because something wakes you up in the middle of the night, you're camping out in the wilderness, and there's a threat. 
characters wearing heavy armor are often like, oh, I'll throw my armor really quick. It's like you don't throw on anything. This fucking splint mail armor takes you like 10 minutes to put on. Like, oh, fuck. Okay. All right. Well, I grab my shield. It's like, okay, there you go. Now your arm. But that's, that's the, there should be a threat and a consequence to camping outdoors when there is perils about. And I think that that's one of them. And, but nowhere in the rules does it say that as far as they have, you believe you could stand up in a corner with fucking plate mail armor on and get six hours of sleep perfectly restfully yeah. and get all your powers and stuff back. It's like, Standing that's up dumb. in the sun. Wearing full plate armor. Uh, m- mounting a horse costs half your movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it's around movement. It is. And- it's a lot of movement and adorning yourself with uh, armor. Yeah, time-related mm-hmm. things. Movement or time-related things. And uh, encumbrance. Oh, well, a lot of people just, just ignores. Yeah, a lot of people just take encumbrance and throw it out the window. 50 coins weighs one pound. Yep. And a belt pouch holds three hundred coins. Six pounds. So roughly about three hundred coins. Yeah. Um people forget that I put it in my belt. You you have fourteen thousand gold pieces in your belt pouch. That's not conceivable. Uh so yeah, those are some of the ones that because they're the details that you have trouble remembering unless you visualize Mm it. And if you're not seeing it in any way, so it just happens in a vacuum but yeah shield one is uh something i've actually never forgotten and everybody that's sword and board or whatever i'm always like yeah you realize that that's well can i carry stuff and he's like no your whole arm is just yeah. indisposed right you can't yeah, it's use strapped that. to your arm but there's also a little thing that you're holding on to you there otherwise it goes flopping right. about exactly unless you're wearing so, a buckler if they're wearing a buckler i'll give it to them but i don't even know if they have a buckler in 5e they don't technically have a buckler they just have a shield yeah and so that's weird but um bucklers yeah maybe i think they got away with them because I, I don't really it's like oh the buckler it's like, i don't know how historically accurate that is yeah. like it existed that was more but not in the way that i think anyway I don't think it existed in the way that it's often materialized in role-playing Mm-mm. games, but it, it doesn't matter. It's a fantasy role-playing world. It's not a medieval Europe right. world, so it's like, that's fine. Horses shit a lot and <laughs> need lots of food, but do you ever deal with that in your games? I know I don't. I'm like, do whatever. I don't care. It's a horse. I, know, I don't like, think we've a- ever paid to fill our horse's feed bags ever. Why would yeah, somehow whenever we go out on trips, whenever we take a camp, Oh, we put the feed bag on the horse. Yeah, sure. You have some feed. Yeah. You know, it's like not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm. track your rations and shit. Or if you can't forage, then maybe I'll make that be a threat if I feel like the environment is hazardous. But beyond that, um, mostly it's just things that come up with being conscientious and like details that are minor things. And you could bring them, bubble them up to the surface, but. Um, I really see no need for it most of the time. The shield one is big, though. I, the the shield is big, just like the dual wielding we talked about with the the torch. You know, you you need a hand mm-hmm. to use a fucking torch. Like that's a thing, and so or a light spell. Who has a light spell? Light light, I think, gets overlooked a lot. It's one of the big benefits of playing online, as much as I don't prefer it. Mm-hmm. Light is it was just that, or I can't see anything all of a sudden. It's like 
<laughs> not something that probably would occur to you as your mini moves out of range. You go, yeah, I don't know. yeah. go over here, chase this guy off into the dark. You don't have dark vision. That's see shit. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, there you go. There's a few of ours, and it's actually kind of nice to remember some of these rules and how we have just kind of thrown them out the side because sometimes they're just a pain in the ass and they're not worth really dealing with. Yeah. All right, Dave, I'm going to give you a scenario here. Um, Kick him out of the game. <laughs> Kick him out of the game. Uh, with Beto being down, uh, let's say mm-hmm. Patrick says, hey, I, I got a, this friend. He says he wants to play some D&D. You're like, yeah, sure. Okay, fuck it. You know, the more the merrier. Bring in, make the group rounded. Nope. The very first thing <laughs> is, yeah, this dude comes in and let's see okay so the first thing he does he says all right so these are my rules that i want to set down first of all what does that make you say (laughs) no i set the rules to the game well i say i'm going to play uh i'm going to play a dwarven fighter uh sorcerer with this 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 and this and this is all just coming from the regular player's handbook and everything but you can tell that he's uh, now trying to worm some shit in that you don't feel is going to gel with the party. Uh, but no matter what you say, say you try to work with him the best you can, but no matter what, everything he does doesn't gel with the party. I'm not saying that he's just bad as then he doesn't follow the rules. He just doesn't gel. What do you do with that player that? Just no matter what, it seems that he tries or they just try to be a problem no matter what. We should sit and take a rest. No, I'm going to keep going. No, we want to take a rest. No, I'm going to go over here. You guys go ahead and rest. What do you think, Dave? I will say that I think the first rule of dealing with problem players is to curate the players Mm -hmm, that you play mm -hmm. with. Make sure that you know the people. You know their temperaments. You know why they're interested in the game. Instead of just, it's easy when, especially you have trouble getting people together. Just like anybody that wants to play, it's like, okay, great, come on into the game. Every single person that I've ever played D and D with, I think, with very, very few exceptions, maybe one session here, one session there, but I have gotten into the game either directly or by proxy. And what I mean by that is these people didn't, Mike did not play D&D. Chris did not play D&D. Beto did not play D&D. You did not play D&D before I sat you down and was like, here is D&D. Rob had not played D&D. Just nobody. And the only secondary players I have allowed in my games are like, let's say I had the first wave of players. That amounts to my brother, my cousin, you, maybe a handful of other players. You guys have a lot of credibility. So, like, when you brought Pierre mm. into the game, when you brought uh, Liam, I think Liam Nick. played with us. Um, yeah, you know, other players, you, you say, like, I've played with this guy and he's a good player. And you're vouching for him. That's like the fucking mob or something. I vouch for this guy. Good player. Okay, great. Come on in. Right? You 
I don't need to hear anything else other than you. That was going to be him. one big thing. Oh, I was going to say one the, the vouching or the uh, the bringing in the friend saying this that he's a good player that should be a good staple. And if you if he fucks up, this is going on you. But that comes with like you and I have been playing games together for fucking mm-hmm. twenty something years. So when you say, "Hey, I've played with this person," and like, and and, and you know me well enough to know that, like, if I'm if this fucking player shits the bed, like, I'm like, "What the yeah. fuck is wrong <laughs> with you?" Right? And so I think that you wouldn't bring someone into my game lately. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the the vanguard. That's the best and foremost rule of dealing with any problem players, make sure you just don't have problem players, mm-hmm. right? You make sure that the players that you know are vetted well and that they, but that said, plenty of people have differing sensibilities about what constitutes a good game. So your job as a GM is to make everything enjoyable for everybody. New players tend to not be as big of a problem as well, let me say new players tend to be the mm-hmm. bigger problems and it's pretty easy to spot that stuff and I think the scenario that you paint is not the likely one actually the likely one is how do you deal with a player that you mostly enjoy playing with and has a few qualities about him or her that you need to tamp down a little bit but mostly I think it boils down to establishing that the GM runs the game and that there needs to be consideration for the other players because mostly I think problem players are a problem because they're not thinking about their fellow players and they're not thinking about DM. They're, I mean, problem people. I don't even think it's players. People are a problem and they're usually Mm -hmm. assholes because they're self-absorbed. And players that are self-absorbed can often be great players because they're very thoughtful about their characters and they're, they're, they're constantly like mulling this stuff over, but they don't see the forest for the trees. So your job is to, in some way, gently illuminate for them that there are other things at play. And so do you... What it, do you see that as the crux of the problem? I don't know how many problem players I've ever had. I bet you had way I've more had than I have because you played with more people than me. Mostly because I always post uh, games up online and say, "Hey, we're just going to play two to three sessions," and then I, mm-hmm. yeah, hell, I'll say I've been with problem GMs before. Uh going in right away, the ones that I see first. Uh, are the hardcore rules lawyers that think that they know what they're talking about, but they don't really, they just want to sound like they know the game when you can absolutely tell they do not know shit. Uh, That's where a lot of problem GMs come in uh, where I don't mean I'm going to toot my horn a little bit here, but any game that I get into, I usually do a lot of research on and I read the rules so that I at least know 80% of it. Uh, Go Whenever sure. I join these games, it turns out I know 30% more than the GM does. And I That's I don't want to sound good. like a dickhead, so I privately message him, hey, this is what rule you should be using. This is mechanic you should be using. And then they get butt hurt, and I end up leaving the game because I don't want to hear them cry. For, for our listeners out there, too, I will say that I have noticed that 
over the years, you have been much more deliberate that, about that because there was a time where you were not so, um, I guess, fastidious nope. about understanding the rules. You kind of have this attitude like, ah, I just want to get to the game. I want to play it. And it's, and I've, I've played in games before. Like, uh, I felt this way when we played the Star Wars games. I'm, I'm not putting mm-hmm. you on blast. I'm actually giving you a compliment here. So don't take this critically. But like, when we played a Star Wars game. You were eager to play it, and we were eager to play it. The uh, the proprietary dice version. And like we were kind of like, well, how does this work, and how does that work? And you were like, well, yeah, I don't really worry so much about what works. And I was like, I kind of got the impression that you didn't really read the rules very carefully. And so we were all kind of afloat in like how things work. I think over the past, say, seven or eight years, you've done a very good job of like making sure that you understand mm. the core mechanic. And you're, I will say that you're, I think you're a little more laxed about adhering to the letter of the law than I am. But there was a time where it was like my knowledge of the rules of, of any given game mechanic that I was playing in, like eclipsed mm-hmm. yours, like even games that I was new to because I just read yeah. intently. And that's not really true anymore. I think you've made some great strides in that. And it, I mean, I haven't played in a game that you've run in a while, but I would venture to guess that it probably buttons up the the game in a lot of ways. But that that most of it boils down to you have to have enough humility to think that maybe somebody can bring something to the game that is under your purview as the GM. So it's this kind of a way to deal with mm-hmm. problem GMs and a way to deal with problem players is that players come in thinking they know everything and Maybe if I'm running a game that's at the breadth of uh, the limits of my understanding and I'm just trying to run the game the best I can, I'm, I should be very open to the fact that I might be doing things wrong. This is how Beto was when he ran the game. I let him run a game and he was like, man, he was really nervous about it. I'm like, dude, don't be so nervous about it. Like, I'm here. Right? If you have any questions about the rules or anything and how it would work, like, just ask me. It's not a big deal. Like. You know, some things are going to be kind of a DM call, but it's really easy to, as a GM, want to assert control and authority over the game. And some players come into games thinking that they have control and authority over the game. And like you said, they have very little humility, which blinds them to the fact that you actually don't like know as much as I do. And I'm open to the idea that maybe I don't know everything mm. either. My cousin Cody regularly will school me on fucking rules because he, it's like actually that's not really the way it works. And you're like, oh really? He's like, and and that's fine. I don't necessarily defer to him, but he's good at citing his sources. He goes like, oh you know, right here, page yep. one thirty eight of the player's handbook, paragraph five, sentence three. <laughs> and you go, oh fuck, I'm wrong, yeah. right? You go, oh, I file that away for later. But if you just go like, no, no, like I I decide. You know, the, the first rule of DMing is that, like, you know, I am the final authority. It's like, that's just stupid. And you're just, it doesn't make you seem like you have better control over the game. It makes you seem like you have worse mm-hmm. control over the game. Players fall into this all the time, trying to min-max and and go for ang like, really. And so, yeah, it's just like, some people want to control things. And so, this goes to my point about curating players, is like, don't have control freaks in your fucking game. True. Don't have people that have 
people that have really low conscientiousness in your game. And sometimes that there can be exemptions to that. Like you don't know Chris Davis from Adam, right. I would imagine. He has some of the lowest conscientiousness of anybody I've ever met in my <laughs> life. I love the guy, but he's not a conscientious person. But when it comes to D&D, he's dialed in for whatever reason. It slots into some sort of crazy thing in his brain. And so, but players of low conscientiousness and players that are like control freaks don't suit well. And so what what are some tactics you have? You're a much I want to give you another scenario. warmer and fuzzier DM. Yeah, this, this is okay. another scenario because this is the one that I cannot fucking stand. All right. Uh, so again, this is a regular player. This is somebody that joined in. It could be somebody we know. Could be somebody we Re- uh, regular as opposed regular. to what? Uh, so he's already been playing. Oh, he he's a frequent right. player of mine. He's, so we've okay, been playing for a while. Still new to you. Brought in right. by somebody, but we've been playing together for let's say about a month. You have created okay. an adventure that was for we're going to say Beto to gain this new mm-hmm. item. It's his quest to go and find this mm-hmm. new item. Because this is going to be a part of his new journey. Uh, you have curated this. You have created this. This was your vision to do. This was nothing with Beto. This is mm-hmm. for you. Uh, after we have accomplished this mission, uh, the new player or this guy uh, slips you a paper or text or whispers you saying, I'm going to steal this shit. And we're like, why? Why would you do this? Because it's what my character would do. So what should I roll? And they won't give it up. How does that go? So the crux of the problem is that you have carefully laid some sort of quest or quest item for another player and some second player is trying to right. undermine that. But it's what way. their character would And I cannot stand that. I fucking sure. hate that. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate that saying. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I, I mean, maybe in this regard, I'm a little more of a laissez-faire DM. I just like allow that to play out in a way that, because I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell players what they can and can't mm-hmm. do. But I'm a firm believer that seeing that your actions have consequences is the best way to learn that whatever you did was or was not a good idea. So I don't know that I really do anything. I just tell the player what they should be rolling. And also acknowledge that there are some other, like you, you have to temper that with the other characters. Sometimes players do this. They go, well, you know, well, like I, I, I like stole it and like, you know, I was, you know, I got really good on my stealth check and it's like, sure. But like, you know, this guy's a cleric, man. You know, he's got a 18 wisdom score. You don't think he's like perceptive and insightful enough to kind of deduce what fucking mm. happened here. Now, maybe, maybe the player is not because he doesn't know what's going on. Suddenly this thing is just missing, but I will and often do give players context based on what their characters sensibilities and perceptions of the world are tempered by what their stats are, what, what kind of uh, background they have. So if you're going to like try to pull one over on this guy, 
I'm going to contextualize it in a way that makes sense for his character, not just you tricked the player so then the player can't, the character can't do anything about it. It's like, that's not really very likely. If you are trying to get one over on someone who's smarter than you, is more perceptive than you or something like that, I'm going to contextualize that where, you know, you go, oh, okay, okay, I stole this thing from him. It's like, okay, I'm going to tell your character that, that this thing is missing. And they deduce that, like, the last person that was there, you were eyeing it or you were behaving suspiciously or whatever. I said, well, I, I did really good on my stealth check. I was like, right, but you didn't make a deception mm -hmm. check in the moments leading up to yeah, that right. and you stole it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this person having a good memory and being a perceptive character remembers that you were behaving suspiciously and suddenly their item is missing and they they're smart enough to deduce that maybe you have some sort of incentive to take it and so i give that other player that information and then what they do with it they just go like yeah, whatever ah, you know he's a party mate i'm just gonna let it go he's like okay great fine but he's not likely to do that he's likely to confront you and then and then i go okay well how do you deal with this confrontation it's like well it's a fair yeah. it's a really good stealth skill it's like yeah, but you're also nothing like that happens mm -hmm. in a vacuum. If you're in a party with somebody, they know some shit about yeah, you. These are people that have and you been with you for months. They have seen you. They know how you work. Sure. And so often if things are a problem within the game, the players don't think to go, hey, what's the likelihood that maybe um, what, 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 how, how easy would it be for me to like lift something off Matt's character? Now, if you ask that any given character in the game, like, well, I don't know, you don't know him. It's like, you know this guy. You've been in dungeons with him when he spotted X, Y, or Z, or he's, he's you know, always, like, you know, checking his weapon or something like that. Like, you, you have some information about this other character, and I go, okay, well, the likelihood that he's going to notice that this thing is gone is almost certain because he's you know, very important to him or whatever, da da da, da. And then if you still want to proceed with some sort of Machiavellian action, um then that's fine. Do, do you, I guess I'll pose this question to you. Most of the things that fall under the umbrella of problem player, do they deal with in-game stuff? No. Or are they things like they're, they're late? That was going to be the third over scenario. The other players. They're be uh, okay. So yes, uh, second scenario, I agree with you. I say, all right, we're going to go with it. We're going to see how it plays out. But if this doesn't go out well and you get butthurt about it, tough shit you brought it upon yourself if uh mm -hmm. the rest of the party is willing to keep playing with you then that's fine but if you continue to be a dick there's just no reason for you to continue yeah scenario three player outside of game great dude great to hang out with loves to go to the scar lounge loves to go to just have go to the bar to grab a drink real nice dude real cool to hang out with but he wants to play in the game really bad but every time the game night comes around, he's late because, oh, sorry, I was with Lisa. We had to go do this and grab some lunch. All right, cool, fine, whatever. Oh, well, you know what? I forgot my character sheet. You got, you know, can I make a different one or can do you have a copy? Or, oh, sorry, man. Hey, guys, I'm not going to make it. I slept in and uh, I don't have a ride. Or one hour before game time. Hey, guys, can't make it tonight. I'm going to go meet up with friends to do this. That's the third scenario. How do you feel about that one? I think those scenarios are actually easier to deal with. 
because they're just a matter of really if you lay it out in front of the player hey it doesn't really seem like you have time Mm -hmm. for this it doesn't really seem like you prioritize this and hey i get it you know we all want whiskey and pussy and fucking work more than we want yeah oh kids games And, and i get it um but the fact is is that other people are relying on you to be here and be on time when you're not you're you're doing the asinine things that often create problems for the players. Most people, if you just draw their attention to them, they really will just kind of concede, mm. at least from my experience. They'll just be like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's like, it's like, I want to, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to be able to like go out with my friends and like, you know, chase tail around town or whatever it is you do. And then also just play D and D when yeah. it's convenient for me. And it's really just, yeah, it's like, okay, well like, Hey, it doesn't really seem like it's fitting and it's, it's much more easy that way. I think the bigger problem scenarios are like the first two where it's like in the game and then you're like, yeah, you're being difficult. And the best way to do that is just to allow the scenarios to play or to, to deal with that is to allow the scenarios to play out and make the character aware that, make the player aware that the character will have yeah. consequences for that and that maybe maybe it might even take a session of getting into the weeds where the characters are just fucking mm-hmm. arguing with each other or getting in each other's faces and getting into the micro drama of like who did what to who and it's like is this really conducive to an adventuring party in the game is this mm-hmm. really like productive in any way like if you don't like these guys to the point where you're gonna like steal from them and like undermine and you're not gonna go along with their goals then if that was like a big problem that can't get handled in game, you might want to like take the player aside and be like, what is going on with this? Like if you, you're not interested in being like comrades with these people and you don't have goals that are aligned to them, and there's always constant strife. Why would you continue to be in this party and continue to go on quests and adventures with these people? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. And you're going to like probably unless they're just trying to be mischievous, which they're often not, they're often just, again kind of unaware and oblivious and you just draw it to their attention they might go why oh, yeah, that makes sense i you know they don't realize that they're the ones that's creating the strife and so but the things outside of the game i think are really easier to dial in because you can just take the player aside and sit them down and ask them a few questions before you hit them with this is becoming a problem mm-hmm. for me Presumably, if you game with somebody, you know them personally. They're not a total stranger. And you can just ask them what's going on. Is there some things happening? Maybe this doesn't seem like a priority for you anymore. Is there a different night that might work for you better? We can hash that out. Is you mm-hmm. know, Yada, yada, yada. And then eventually, you'll probably just arrive at they don't really yeah, want to yeah. play. In the way that you want to play, right? You think, I want to do something. I prioritize it. I carve out time for it. You know, I I make some preparations for it. I come to the game ready to play, ready to contribute, to clean up after myself, to contribute for food, to whatever it is that you would do. But players that don't think that, that that the game exists in a vacuum for them, just for the three or four hours that they're there, 
if that's the case and they're not a highly conscientious person, like I think Mike is that kind of character. The game exists for the four hours a week mm-hmm. that we play. But Mike is a highly conscientious person. So it's like he does the things that are necessary. He's never a problem in any way. Uh, so, but if they're not and they're not conscientious, they just kind of like, ah, whatever. Like I, I will do that. I want to do that insofar as that I, these other four things are not available to me. And you got to go, okay, man, I understand why playing a role-playing game would not be high on your list of priorities of things. But the fact is, is that we all make it a priority on Friday or Saturday night or whatever to come and do this mm-hmm. thing. And it's the thing we want to do. And if it's something you want to do, and I think you eventually arrive at the fact that they will just tell you it's not really a thing that I want in the way that you want. Yeah. To. It's like a bowling so, league and somebody just doesn't show up. Until and then calls you an hour into the league saying, Oh, sorry, I missed it. I had this and this. It's like, hey man, you know. One thing that Dave does every single week when we are playing is usually like around, you know, we play on Saturday nights. Usually by Thursday, at some point, Dave sends out a mass text that says, Is everybody still good for Saturday? And God damn it, every time I see it, I'm just saying to myself, I wish he didn't have to do this. I really wish, but some people need that. In order to be like, oh yeah, am I good? So because, yeah, because to me, to me, it's it's that point about over prepping that we had a discussion we had a couple of weeks ago about how much you should be prepping. It's like, look, Wednesday Thursday is enough days in advance that if you need to cancel, you should know yeah. that you need to cancel. And it's also right around the time that I might start, you know, picking at the game to make sure that everything is dialed in. And if I do that. For two or three days and devote some of my time and then one of my players cancels on me i'm not mm-hmm. gonna be happy i will have wasted however much time and i don't like sure it's not like i have like a super buttoned up schedule but you know i do have like two part-time jobs and a full-time job and a girlfriend and i shoot pool and i play yeah, poker we still got shit to do, do. podcast with you right we all got shit and it, it's a way of acknowledging that like my time is not any more important than anyone else's time. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And so that's a good habit to be in, you know, making sure that everybody is still coming to the game and sure, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have to. And I don't think I've ever had it. Hey, is everyone still in and have someone be like, actually, no, it's like, they almost always let me know Mm -hmm. ahead of time. And that's good. But it's just a matter of just being respectful of other people's time and investment in the game. But those extraneous things outside the game, I think are, are so much, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you found them more difficult uh, to deal with, but I'm a more, I'm a pretty yeah, direct I've person. I've gotten so. very lucky uh, with games that I've written that the players, I don't know if like, I just prefer adults that have their shit together to play with me. Like my Wednesday game, the Savage Shadowrun game. Luckily we all work together we play at the place that we work at so it, it works out a lot better mm-hmm. but like uh like sabina sabina every now and then she has a lot of work to do she works in our marketing team and she has a lot of stuff to do and she's really good like she will tell us you know like two days before saying hey just a heads up in case it happens i got a lot of work to do this week just a heads up i might not be able to make it on wednesday guess what cool we're adults we can deal with that that's okay uh i've never had anybody like right away like you know like the day of say i can't make it 
everybody is actually very good about it, except for last week on Wednesday when it snowed and Xavier came up to me and said, we should probably cancel tonight. Said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So we just sent out the message and everybody said, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, I would venture to guess that most of our listeners are probably in our age demographic. And I think if you're still playing Dungeons and Dragons when you get to be in your 40s, that you're probably a big enough dork that it's something you prioritize or it's something that I mean, sure you have a busy life or whatever, you do shit. But I remember this being more of a problem when we were in our 20s. Mm-hmm. Basically, somebody is too cool yeah. to play D&D, likes playing D&D, but then they also want to like, oh, I'm hanging out with this girl or whatever. It's like, oh, peachy. Like, you know, and it's, and it's like, ah, man, you just, my buddy Alex was oh. this way. He was just too cool to be playing D&D with us when he was like 19, 20 years old. It's like, dude, you, you like doing this, but the thought of giving up your Saturday night and like, going to some party with some girl that you just met or whatever. When that's the the alternative, you're like, yeah, I kind of want that instead. And it's like, I'll just cancel D and D. It's like, yeah, you're just, you're out after a while. So most people have their, their stuff dialed in. If you like D and D and you're our age, you're a big enough fucking dork that you probably look mm-hmm. forward to it every week. And it's something that you enjoy and there's not a lot of competing goods because you've organized your life in a way that like fits a routine and a schedule. And, but when you're younger, it's difficult. Like you're just like, if you're just trying to get a game together, that can be very difficult trying to figure out who wants to play and, and whatever, especially if you're playing with strangers. This is the reason that game shops often do this. Like just come to this thing once a week at this time and it's set and it's somebody being the adult in the room but if you don't want to do that for whatever reason you want to play with a bunch of complete strangers for like an hour or two in a campaign that doesn't have any longevity then you got to wrangle some idiots and and bring them in and there's always a good chance that that one of them is going to be you know like a like a what mm-hmm. we call a problem player and i will say that it's almost always player who seems very enthusiastic the player who's really into it because of the kind of players that get really interested and very into something quickly but they're uh the kinds of people that their attentions are drawn elsewhere easily they get excited about everything that they're interested in to that degree it's players like patrick who are just like yeah i play a lot D and you're just like cool Patrick is on time every week and really there's not a lot of fucking issues and uh, so it's like those guys not super great to have at the table sometimes because they're kind of just there but my cousin Cody a great example of that great Mm -hmm. great player when he's at the table dynamic interesting outspoken like got a lot of flair and flavor knows the rules knows the game loves it you know, except when he wants to go out to the fucking bar with his buddies and get too drunk and never tell anybody and then stagger in 10 minutes before the game, be like, ah, I'm too drunk, mm-hmm. man. I'm going to press the fuck out. You know, or not even tell you he's coming to the game. Players that are that way are, are often, you know, they're, they're kind of dilettantes. They, they get really into one thing, but the second something else catches their fancy, they just totally are like etch a sketch their fucking brain that they have other things that they've committed to and do whatever they want to in the moment. 
And if what they want to do in the moment is play Dungeons and Dragons and you catch them in that moment, they'll be fun to have at your table, but you need to recognize that that's not something that works. Yeah, not to put Cody on blast, but uh, our Curse of Strahd campaign, Cody and Sean played with us and they had a lot of technical problems because their internet fucking sucked. Hear that or the computers they were using sucked, whatever it was, it sucked. And Dave told them, I don't even know how many times, a lot. He said, hey, just figure out, if you want to play, please just figure out a way to make it work better. And they just wouldn't. Yeah. They just didn't. Yeah. And, and that was fine. I, we gave, I gave them what, oh, five yeah. months. A long time. We started playing some other stuff and we were playing analog here and I started a new campaign. And then eventually I was just like, you know what? I've given them enough time. And, I, you know, I wasn't mad about it. I'm like, I get it. You know, hey, you have technical problems. Maybe mm-hmm. your computer sucks. And they're poor, just like I'm poor. And it's like, you don't want to buy a new computer. You don't want to pay for better internet or whatever. I get it. You know, it's cost prohibitive, but I can't, we can't run the game without you having the technical capabilities to do so. And if, if that's not a priority for you, but you know, there were plenty of times where it was like, Sean just like was yeah. asleep. <laughs> yeah. Cody just went, Co- Cody, uh, I was probably as close as I've ever been to being mad at my cousin Cody, which is that he just, he didn't tell anybody that he was just going out drinking the night we were mm. playing D&D. It's like went out drinking. He staggered in like partway through the game all fucking drunk because Sean was like there in the same house as him. And I'm like, usually you have two people that live in the same house together. You're like, if one is in, the other is in, right? And you can poke at each other and kind of keep each other like on task or whatever. That's why it's most games I've known that have gone fairly successfully are a group of people that fucking live together. You know, someone's a neighbor and then like, you know, you know, one you have one odd guy and like three people that live together. It's like you live in the same complex, two doors down, and these three people live together. It's like four of the five people like just are mm-hmm. right there already. It's like that's usually a good way to keep a game going. But yeah, it just didn't work out. And so I just had to kind of like, okay, well, forewarned is forearmed, and we just continued mm-hmm. on without him and probably better for it as much as I, you know, miss Cody in the game. Not so much Sean, but uh but I do miss Cody. <laughs> Coming from experience uh, on both sides, games that I'm running, and I have that problem player in all those, the first two, you could usually work out no problem if they still have the want to be there and they give the the initiative and the, you know, the personality that you would prefer. They're like, okay, yeah, I shouldn't be this way. We'll, we'll work it out. Great. Third, there's been lots that I've had in just picking up games online and some that I've jumped into, and I found that I do not gel well with this group. I don't work well with this GM, so I quit. It's uh, the first time I ever did it, and god damn it, two out of the four times that I've done it were all were Shadowrun games. I just wanted to play fucking Shadowrun. I wanted to be a player in a Shadowrun game. And the GM... Shadowrun dude, games are seriously, assholes, They are. They fucking... Oh, I'm sure there's good ones out there. I'm sure there is, but these ones were not that good. And the first one, it took me like two months to just finally i guess yeah build the courage to just say hey this is not for me i gotta go uh but that gave me after that the gm was actually really cool he was just like oh well if that's how you feel then sorry man it gave me that push the next time around to just be like no this isn't for me i'm i'm not gonna play anymore and sometimes they do they feel hurt because they think it's their game and it's not i just didn't fit in well with it with the rest of the players with his style of gming 
just wasn't for me. And if there's a formula to it, though, if there's a formula to dealing with problem players, I think it probably follows the same formula that it comes to just dealing with problem yeah. people. And I don't know that it's really it's largely agnostic of the fact that it's mm -hmm. a game, but it goes something like this. If some behavior is a problem, first you start by giving the person the benefit of the doubt. Someone's late to a game. There's no need to make a big deal about it. People are late. If someone does something that hogs the spotlight in a game, there's no need to make a big deal about it. That happens. Give someone the benefit of the doubt and don't assume malintent that they're doing it to be a self-absorbed asshole, to domineer the game, to undermine your authority as a GM. They're probably not. So start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. Then, if the problem comes up again, you need to do what's called a warning shot. And that usually, like if someone teases you and you don't appreciate it, you might tease them back. Or they do something that's annoying to you, you might just tease them about it. Or you might mention something offhand. Or even say something that is, hey, like, take it easy, man. Nothing aggressive or even assertive, just a warning shot. Like, you're on dangerous ground here. And usually I find that poking fun at people for something is the best way to do it if you do it a few times. I've done it with Beto. Beto is a terrible player about paying attention. He is terrible. I love his in-character dialogue. I love uh, the way in which he seems to kind of liven up even the most routine thing in a combat encounter. Um, I like a lot of things about Beto, but paying attention isn't fucking <laughs> one of them. So I have poked fun at him about it on several occasions. That's what you would call a warning shot. This also is easy to do for people that are being a jerk to you in your regular life. Fire a warning shot. Then if the warning shot goes unignored, you establish what you call a firm boundary. I don't like when you talk to me that way. I don't it's a problem for me that you were late at the game. It has happened again if you're if you're giving them the benefit of the doubt and you're firing a warning shot, you have something you can point to. You've been late four of the last six games. This is unacceptable to me. If you're late again, we're going to have to have a discussion about whether you really want to play in this game. A firm boundary. If you're late one more time, you talk to me like that again, you know, I might pop you in the fucking mouth, right? Like you set a firm boundary. Don't mm -hmm. cross this fucking line. And then again, this is to the point of kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. You go, okay, I'm, I'm establishing the boundary. Maybe they will respect the boundary. Then if they don't respect the boundary, then you consequence them and you have firm ground to consequence them yep. firmly. You don't feel like a jerk when you say, okay, I've given you the benefit of the doubt and I've been patient. Except maybe that's an isolated incident, but then it wasn't. It was established pattern of behavior. Then the established pattern of behavior I made room for the possibility in the interest of fairness that you didn't realize that it was an issue. So I poked fun at you about it or I in other ways fired some sort of warning shot that let you know that like, no, no, like this is not cool. I'm not making a big deal about it, but like you're aware now. So now I've given you the benefit of the doubt, pattern of behavior, you are aware. 
And then now I've established a boundary and you crossed over that boundary. Now I am fully within my rights to be like, this is not going to work. You need to, you're no longer welcome at this game. And it's unfortunate, but I feel like I've given you enough rope and you have hung yourself with that rope. And I think it's a recipe that works well for me when I deal, you know, I'm in customer service. I work at a cigar shop and, and I also have to deal with sources as journalists and tech idiots as a blogger. And so you get a lot of people that are just kind of asinine. And so you need to learn to deal with these things in a way that doesn't leave you coming off like a dick, which is probably not something I've been great about in the <laughs> past. I, kn I know I used to be much more of a dickish DM than I am now, and I used to be much more of a dickish person than I am now. But now I feel like I can, I can come off assertive mm -hmm. and not aggressive. And it, it follows that formula. Do, would you have anything to add to that? I anything want to... that you... Think any step well, I'm the missing. one thing is, is in this hobby, a lot of the people that play these games are a little socially awkward. And they can find this yeah. trying to, you know, like you said, especially like the warning shot sort of thing. They can find it a little mm -hmm. hard. And all I got to say is, don't worry about it. If it's a friend, mm -hmm. they'll understand. Uh, I'm sure you could talk it out. If it's somebody that you don't know, like it's a group that you just joined with, do not hesitate. Get out while you can. You'll feel way better yeah. about it. Don't worry about hurting feelings. Just get it over with and leave. Don't go back. Uh, that's the only thing I would go in along with that formula is I know it can be awkward and you don't want to hurt people's feelings or you just feel weird about altercation or, you know, anything like that. Don't. Don't worry about it. Get it over with. Peel, rip off that Band-Aid and get out because you'll you'll be a lot happier I think it make, but it makes it makes it easier to ease into it with if you follow that formula though some people get really like one transgression and they're just like oh this fucking just like they're late yeah. they're they're so disrespectful of my time it's like dude it, are you saying you've never been fucking late mm -hmm. anywhere in your life i had this discussion with somebody about like why would you tell somebody that you overslept yeah i'm like what do you mean and they're like, well, I don't know. Someone asked you, like, why you were late to work and you just said you overslept. And I'm like, because everybody has overslept in their life. Every single person you've ever known oh, yeah. has overslept. And so it's perfectly relatable as long as it's not happening frequently. And if you have confidence in yourself that it doesn't happen frequently, then they, like the, the response you're likely to get from a boss is like, oh, I hate when that happens. Like, was it like AM, PM on the mm -hmm. alarm or something? Like, <laughs> I was like, all right, well, try not to let it happen again, right? Because there, most people want to be fair to you because they don't want to assume that you're a yeah. dick. And humor is a great way to tease. If you tease somebody about something, then they kind of know that you're aware of it and they kind of like, you know, unless they just totally ignore that you tease them, they have to internalize it. But it's not serious and you're not confronting them. And, and so that sets the stage with those two steps that when you actually do have to set a firm boundary, and saying, hey, I don't, I don't, this behavior is not working for me. And then if they cross over that line, then you're, you're, you, you should feel confident that you have firm ground to stand on. I, I had to do this with my editor. She's late all the time. And I just told her, I'm like, we have to, we have to talk about your tardiness. And she laughed it off. She was like, ah, I don't just late. I'm like, no, no, but it's like a yeah. serious problem for me. Like, and I, and, and I, I had to go from like, I had chided her about it before and then I had to have a talk with her and she tried to laugh it off and instead I just had to set the boundary and go, no, like 
if next time we go to lunch, you don't show up on time, like I'm probably just not going to have lunch with you again. Like you realize that you're the only person that I give this much latitude to. So I was trying to be friendly, right? Most people don't show up on time. They're five minutes late. They're 10 minutes late. I just mm -hmm. leave. I don't wait for them, but you have afforded special consideration. So when you frame things like that, when you have to get to the point of setting a boundary if somebody's prepared to, to cross, then you should be confident that your decision has been has been fair to them, has been patient with them, and has given them an opportunity to adjust their behavior instead of just being a, a just like, well, hey, you know, I was I was thinking maybe, you know, uh, I, I would play like, you know, this class that I was thinking of multi-classing and you're like, I don't multi-class in my, in my oh, I don't man. allow it. Well, but I thought maybe you were just like, okay, you don't like this. You're out of my game then. You're out of my game. Like, no, no one wants no, to be no, that no. guy. And the, But if you if you give someone enough rope and if they choose to hang themselves with it, then you can just kind of shrug and go like, I, my, my basically act as though your hand mm -hmm. is forced. Like, I've given you ample opportunity. I can't. I have other people to consider. I have other people in the group. I run this game. Uh, I have other people to consider, myself included. And and you you have been the one that's failed. I'm not being a jerk to you. You have failed to live up to my expectations. And if you frame it like that way in your brain and to the player, I think they'll take it a lot Oh, better. that shit's perfect. Perfect way to end the episode because, Jesus Christ, that was good. And it seems no matter what, our outro music doesn't want to work for us anymore. So... Fuck that. I'll, yeah, need fuck it. that shit. Boom, there we go. Boom, 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 if you boom, boom, have anything for us to talk about, blather on about, give some uh, critiques about, send it to inside the GM studio uh, at gmail.com. Give us something to talk about. We always love having new topics. Uh, our list is getting short. I got to refill it. <laughs> I think this is the shortest our list has been in a while. Uh, but eh. I think we've given some pretty good advice today, today and we've had some good chucks. Uh, so, for Inside the GM Studio, I am Matt. I am still David. A good night.